1: Hey, hey, it's great to be back with you. Father Tim Grumbach is in studio with me. And I mean, talking about the important things, death, judgment, heaven, hell. I mean, if you're not thinking about this, it's kind of important.
2: The last things. The
1: four last things? Yeah,
2: the first things to think of.
1: Yep, and I was real tired the other day. I'm texting Father Tim. I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk about the four last things. I'm like, totally got him wrong. I think I put like purgatory in there, which we are talking about, but it's not one of the four last things. Um, You know, I have a funny story. I was recently... Uh, At a retreat center, I headed over to the gift shop and I was in a little bit of a rush and I wanted to pick up the book preparation for death. And by the way, shout out to one of our listeners. The girl's like, wait, you're timoring. She's really excited. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Nice to meet you. I talked to her briefly. I'm like, listen, I, I've got to go, but I'm looking for the book preparation for death. And she was, oh, oh, and like you could tell, she went from like excited to meet me to like, oh, someone you know is dying. Like this just got really intense. And I'm not really thinking about it. I'm marching over to the bookcase. I'm like quickly going through all the book titles. I'm like, okay, doesn't look like you have it. Do you think you have it? She's like, well, I know we've got a book on like bereavement, and I know we've got a book on like mourning. And I'm like, no, no, no I'm good. Thank you so much. And I like leave, and I'm walking down the street and i'm thinking oh my gosh that conversation just sounded insane to this poor girl
2: yeah we as catholics have some of the best conversations in public that is for sure and as i said on the last episode and we'll be talking about it a lot today is you know we as catholics have a, a very complicated relationship with death i can certainly say from my experience as a priest being at the bedside of, of people who are dying, in the hospital, at homes, uh, in so many different places that it could be rather numb to that. But Jesus doesn't ask us to be numb to death. Uh, he, asks, he tells us to not be afraid and that it can be transformed. And so that's what we're talking about today is how we as Christians have that complicated relationship with death because we trust that death is not the end. That in death, even though it brings a sadness, but with our eyes on the resurrection, that as the liturgy of the church says for the faithful, uh, life is changed, not ended.
1: That's Father Tim Grumbach of St. Augustine Parish in Los Angeles. We're, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. When we talk about death, we're pulling a lot from the theme of St. Alvonsus Liguori. We'll also be pulling from the Catechism of the Catholic Church and just the wide breadth of knowledge of the saints in talking about death. They talked about it all the time, yet we don't very often. And when we look at, say, Alvanzas Lagori, he talks about how, you know, it's certain that we will die. I mean, this is an absolute, although we are so obsessed in so much of modern culture with the undead, with, you know, resurrection of our favorite TV characters after they die, but then somehow are risen from the dead. I mean, there's so many stories now where we don't like to think about death as the end. And there's a reason because it's not yet so many people as we fall further away from Christianity think that it really is the end. And yet we need to talk about death from the perspective as well as not only is it certain, but death bed conversions, although they happen, St. Alphonsus Liguori, who's one of the doctors of the church, having to do with morality, talks about how this doesn't happen as often as we'd like to say. It's miraculous, but you can't just go on living your whole life and either assume you're going to have a deathbed conversion or kind of bank on it in some way.
2: Yeah, and in another context, well, he's referring to uh, the way that habits can destroy our our person that to build sinful habits will make it more and more difficult to be drawn, to draw ourselves back to God, that God is always reaching out to us that St. Faustina would say is that the greatest sinner has the greatest right to God's mercy Mm -hmm. um, as Jesus spoke to her. And I, I'm also thinking in another context of St. Ignatius of Loyola in his spiritual exercises points to you know the spirits the, the a good spirit and an evil spirit will affect us differently depending on our orientation towards God. If we're someone who is going from mortal sin to mortal sin and building up this habit as St. Alphonsus points to it, then it's going to be far more difficult for us to receive the uh, consolation that comes from the good spirit, from the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be affected more deeply by the desolation that comes from an evil spirit that is means to draw us away from God. And so while yes, we can pray for deathbed conversions and pray for those who are, you know, seem furthest away from God at the end of their lives. You know, I just had a a parishioner ask me to do that. And so I get to pray for them, their, their family member by name in mass and to say, Jesus, we know no one is too far from you, especially at the time of their death, but why wait? to build up a, a habit of a saintly life would affect us not just for eternity, but it will affect us now. And it will change the way that we live now. And that's what we desire for ourselves, for our loved ones. But to build up these bad habits, these sinful habits, as St. Ignatius would say, to go from mortal sin to mortal sin, it's going to be more and more difficult to receive the love of God, which is not lessened, by our, but our ability to receive it.
1: But it's not even just going from mortal sin to mortal sin, but from venial sin mm-hmm. and staying in venial sin. I mean, these venial sins are the things that we have to go through the burning fires of purgatory to be purged from those venial sins. And often those venial sins become so habitual that we become less and less aware and we think it's no longer a sin. We'll be talking about this more later on. But I love the words of St. Alphonsus when he talks about how essentially his wish for all of us is that we, quote, endeavor to live during the remainder of your life in the presence of death. This is that whole theme as well that we hear of memento mori. Remember your death.
2: Right. And that's a very good translation of the phrase, but I think it could also be translated as remember to die or remember, remember, and almost as a command, remember dying, remember you dying on the
1: cross. Right.
2: Right. (laughs) And so it's not so much just remember that you're going to die, but remember how to do it with your eyes on the cross.
1: And when we talk about death, we also forget that death is necessary. It was necessary that Christ died on the cross for the redemption of the world. It wasn't necessary, but he chose to do it. Now it's necessary for us to die to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we forget that because we get so worked up about today, what we want, what we miss, what the next phase in life might be, you know, whether we're focusing on, you know, getting married, where we're focusing on graduating from college, whether we're focusing on getting that new job, whatever it might be, we get so distracted by the next thing as our achievement in life that we are perpetually dissatisfied. But if instead we focused on our next thing as being heaven, it puts things into context because we're reminded death is real and you may not know, you will not know when it'll come, but you may not be prepared if you don't keep it in sight.
2: And this isn't some kind of morbid obsession that we Catholics have with death. You know, as, as, as Christians, uh, you know, death is transformed by Christ and we can look to death as, as a doorway, as yeah. something that can transform us rather than something that ends us as one who preaches in funerals, sometimes one or, once or twice a week, that I have this familiar, not comfortable, but familiar relationship with death and the death of others. And if I don't have my own insight, it becomes just a practice of talking about something that's outside of myself. But if I can recognize the way that I have experienced losses in my own family, or if you know this person is particularly close to me at the parish, then this is something that is affecting me and transforming me and I get to invite people into that and you know funerals become this amazing opportunity to proclaim the gospel not just to comfort people not just to create some kind of narrative that will give meaning or make them feel better about what's happening but to really preach the gospel that death has been defeated from the inside
1: And who are we sometimes to think that we're greater than dying? You know, we try to do all these tricks to live a longer life, to avoid death, or to choose death on our own terms with things such as euthanasia and physician assisted suicide. But we're called to obedience the same way Christ was called to obedience and all the way to obedience that led to death on the cross. We, too, are called to be obedient to the death that Christ has prepared for us. And so that means that we are preparing for it by being close to the sacraments, by literally, I mean, you guys, we forget this. We can live and die in a state of grace already, that foretaste of heaven on earth present in our lives.
2: Yeah, one of my favorite preachers about the gospel about you know the, the relationship that death has with the gospel is actually a Dietrich Bonhoeffer mm-hmm. a German Lutheran pastor not Catholic but right. had a good relationship with the Catholic Church and saw uh, a lot of beauty in the sacramental life of the church but just wasn't you know ready to make that step uh, forward because he had so much to deal with just uh, preaching against uh, the, the Nazis rising in Germany in his own home. And, but he was eventually executed by the Nazis, not long before world war II ended there in Germany. And he had so much to say about the Christian's relationship with death in the light of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. And, you know, this is one of my favorite short lines from him is no one has yet believed in God and the kingdom of God. No one has yet heard about the realm of the resurrected and not been homesick from that hour. And this is what is just so marvelous that we can transform death. I love that, that we should be homesick for heaven. Once we have heard the gospel, once it's been proclaimed into our lives. And then when we look at sometimes even the most tragic encounters with death is that we should still be homesick. That's the language that he uses homesick for heaven when we encounter death in this world.
1: I always think too. Another thing that stands before me, because just trying to keep death in mind, and Saint Alphonsus Liguori's book "Preparation for Death," he talks about uh, the story of having a skull on your table in front of you, and he talks about at one point how the skull's looking at him and you know saying, you know, what what you are, I once was, and what I am, you will become, mm-hmm. essentially. I'm paraphrasing, but you know that symbol of keeping death in our sight we're going to become nothing. And just like the kings, the queens of the world, just like the wealthiest people in the world, all of us go naked into the tomb. All of us go with nothing. It doesn't matter what we achieved, what we have. It's how we served and loved our Lord that determines where we will go after death.
2: When we as Christians have this complicated relationship with death, we can look at it and speak with that childlike love that St. Therese has for her parents.
0: Timmery will be right back send her a tweet at Timory. that's t-i-m-m-e-r-i-e you're listening to trending with Timmery where morality and culture meet offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics
1: A shout-out to our awesome sponsor. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose a doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's solidarityhealthshare.org. We're talking about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Just before the break, Father Tim Grumbach, in light of death, was talking about how St. Therese actually told her mom that she hopes she dies. And I was thinking about that, Father Tim, because we should actually desire our death. And we don't talk about this very often, but the only reason we wouldn't desire our death is if we're not keeping it in the proper context And if there's something that is leading us to fear, the judgment that's to come, which is our next theme.
2: Right, and it's if we wanna hide from God. But if we wanna be found by God, then our death will take on a different light and we'll be, in the Christian sense, looking forward to it.
1: So a lot of people get things wrong when it comes to, well, what determines if I'm going to go to heaven, you know, just being a good person, you know, what, you know, will God show up before me, you know, at my deathbed and say, Hey, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to go to hell? And there's a lot of false teaching, unfortunately about death, about judgment and about salvation. Uh, But one thing is very clear that we have to emphasize death is final and you are judged based on the life that you lived. So at death, It's final. It's over at the moment of death is when you will be judged. And there are two types of judgments. We talk about the particular judgment, which takes place at the moment of death. And then the final judgment at the end of time, when we look forward to the resurrection of the body,
2: the new heavens and the new earth. And one of the most powerful lines from our saints of the Catholic church about death and the judgment is St. John of the cross. Mm -hmm. And you'll find this in the catechism. It says at the evening of life, we shall be judged on our love. And so it's not just about what rules we followed, what rules we broke, but we will be judged on love.
1: And when we think about that, it's hard depending on what context we ourselves are living in. You know, we live in a relativistic society, a materialist society, a modern society, and all of these things essentially tell us in this kind of current view of modernism that, well, God's merciful, God's all merciful, and he is all merciful but that doesn't mean he isn't also just. And so for some reason we tend to kind of just go through life thinking, well, God will just forgive me for that. But that's actually a sin. That's a sin to commit a sin or live a sinful life with the presumption of God's forgiveness.
2: God's forgiveness being infinite. And in a sense we can say, well, God still desires to forgive us in those moments, but how are we going to be able to receive that forgiveness if we meant the entire time, to abuse it in right. a sense.
1: I mean, right. sometimes we won't even be capable of receiving it. We'll ignore it. We won't want it. We'll turn aside from it. In fact, if we look at St. Alphonsus Ligori, he talks about how, in fact, when they're habitual sinners, when you're a habitual sinner, you continue to justify things and you justify things to the point where. You're indifferent, essentially, to God's mercy. You're indifferent to the idea of morality and law and the kingdom of heaven. You don't even care anymore. And I'm just talking about this in terms of small, bad, habitual actions. I'm not even talking necessarily mortal sin
2: and that's why God wants to transform us to bring us into the habit of well being conformed to the image of Christ to live the mind of Christ as we were talking about on our last episode was that we become in Christ we live with the the instincts of God and the mind of Christ and this is a part of the judgment that you know we have a again a complicated understanding of judgment is mm-hmm. we may think of a judge as somebody who sits up higher than we do and makes the mental decisions and then you know, sets down a verdict and a sentence, and that's what a judge does. And maybe that has been a part of our Christian tradition of understanding God as a judge in that sense. But we have to also have the Hebrew understanding of judgment. Uh, the Hebrew word shafat means uh, more than just this mental decision that's made and a sentence that's passed down. It's actually the root of the word that we have for the book of Judges, is that these were not mere juridical figures who would make these judicial statements based off of mental decisions, based on the evidence. No, these were people who ruled and for God to rule his people through these judges to judge that word is a making right of the wrongs. Mm. So it's the actual act of of, uh, execution, if you will, of making what is wrong. Right. And so when we bring that Hebrew understanding of judgment into our particular and into the universal judgment, the final judgment, is that this is how God intends not just to make decisions, but to write what is wronged.
1: Well, and this also brings up the theme of culpability. And I like what mm-hmm. you said, to make right what was wrong. Sometimes people, and it's not an excuse, but it is a truth to be acknowledged, have been dealt a real bad hand mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. They've really sh- suffered and they've struggled. Maybe the context of their understanding of what truth is, what goodness is, what God is, has been wrong. You're culpable according to your exposure You're culpable according to what you yourself have or have not sought to learn. You're culpable for following your conscience, which is a gift that God has given us to help discern right from wrong. There's culpability and there are certain things that we're more culpable for and less culpable for. Um, but we can't forget that in every single one of our sins is also weighed in light of the culpability of that particular sin.
2: Right. As we are looking at what makes for a mortal sin, right? What are our, our, our three elements? It's, it's the, it, that it's a grave matter, that we have a, a full knowledge and we give our full consent to it. And so we may have something that is grave matter that we, Uh, we commit, but if it's something that we've been forced into, that culpability will be lessened. If it's something that we didn't know was truly an evil act, then maybe some of that culpability will be lessened. And though we won't be putting all of this into a formula and presenting it before God at our final judgment, at our personal judgment, this is something that should give us heart, that our God knows our hearts greater than we do.
1: That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Be sure to share this episode. The four last things are important. We should consider it. Maybe send it to someone who's kind of on the waters with their faith. They're, you know, tiptoeing through it, but we're not really sure if they want to fully commit. This is a great episode to make them ponder the reality of life, its finality, its end, and its entire purpose. You know, Father Tim, when I think about our faith, when I think about death, I think about how sometimes we hate religion or we even hate the idea of a Christian understanding of heaven because it destroys our modern view of relativism Mm. because everything's relative to us. I determine what is right, what is wrong, what I want. I'm very hedonist. I follow what is pleasurable to me. So to think about being judged, to think about even the idea of hell or heaven, it really shakes us up sometimes. And I think we often would rather just not think about it at all because we wanna go on living as we are.
2: The kind of love that will be heaven demands everything of us in this world now. It's going to cost us everything. And so you're right is that Um, with a more relativistic worldview is I get to choose what is right and wrong. Uh, You know, I have my truth. I will proclaim my truth. But if there's something deeper than anything that I can see and anything that I can even experience in this world right here and right now that's demanding everything of me, that's going to be far more difficult than making it up as I go along the way.
1: When we think about judgment as well, we already talked about particular and final judgment, but we also have to remember there are three options. There's heaven, there's hell, and there's purgatory. Purgatory, we need to have a little greater um, fear or concern for purgatory as well. We don't know how long we will be in purgatory. Praise God, it is the path to heaven, but it's the very serious purging of those venial sins, as some people like to say, unfortunately, those lesser sins. You know, we talk about the lesser sins in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Peter 1, and we read about it in all the saints like St. Gregory the Great. But purgatory is commonly referred to as this fire. The good news about the fire of purgatory is that it's a fire that purges us of the imperfections. Just like when you look at the wood, the wood is literally being purged in the fire of its impurities. When you hear that snap, that crackle, that pop, sometimes the odd colors of the fire in the wood, that's it releasing the chemicals and the damaging things for the tree.
2: And the saints have given us some really powerful images of purgatory is that that cleansing fire. And it has been confused by some as a very similar fire to that of hell. Which
1: we're going to talk about. Right, right,
2: right. And, um, you know, some will say that perhaps maybe it's even the same fire, but experienced differently by those who are not in mortal sin. Mm -hmm. But have these attachments that need to be purified. That's a speculation that uh, that that can be helpful Um, but the, the purgatorial fires are something that are purifying us. And some people will say, Oh, I just hope to make it to purgatory. And my first thought, when I hear someone say that instead of like, I'm aiming for heaven, is like, don't aim for purgatory aim for heaven. You know, as they say, you aim low, you're going to miss low. And so, if we're aiming for heaven, yes, then we'll have the opportunity to be purified of those things that we're still attached to at our death. But I like the image of you know, rushing to get onto a plane before it takes off. Is that you know we're running, 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 and we get into the plane and they close the doors and we can say, oh, we made it. We're gonna get. We're gonna go with this plane. It's not like they're gonna kick us out. But once we make it into purgatory, we're going, we're going with that plane, we're going to go up, we're going to go into heaven. It's not like once you get to purgatory, then mm, maybe you, you'll still go to hell. But it is a promise that that which we're attached to still in this life, that we'll be purified of that because the promise is to be God with be with God forever, to be divinized into the love of the Holy Trinity forever. And we need to let go of the attachments that we have in this world.
1: This is where the sacrament of confession comes into play. We need to be confessing our venial sins. One of the most common mistakes we make is thinking that, yes, you have to confess your mortal sins, but confessing your venial sins helps give you that sanctifying grace to overcome those bad habits that would send you to purgatory.
2: And sometimes the venial sins are some of the most little embarrassing things. And so just at a human level, being able to name those and to speak those out loud can be a purifying thing that prepares us also to be rid of our mortal sin.
0: You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes listening to Trending with Timmery. Hey,
1: hey, we're back. We're doing an episode on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Do you think about these things often? Are you afraid of death? Do you fear judgment? Do you even think about the reality of hell? And do you ponder heaven? These are the things we're talking about with Father Tim Grumbach here in studio. Father Tim, I have to be real honest here. I'm not good about talking about heaven, I think. And I think that for me, I, I talk about heaven, but like thinking about doing a whole segment on heaven, I'm like, oh, good Lord, there's so much to say so much. I mean, we don't know it's an unknown. And I was saying this to my husband and he said, well, for you, it's simple because heaven is a simple concept and that requires faith and trust. Yet we kind of overdo it and then it causes us to doubt it sometimes.
2: Well, even Paul has given us the language of what eye has not seen and ear has not heard and what has not entered into the heart of man, that that's what God has promised for us and that all we can use are certain images from the life that we're living now but to an infinite degree. And some of the most powerful images coming from, say, C.S. Lewis, where it's further up and further in, and it's it's that desire for the everlasting hills, where you're running further into the hills and the sun keeps on rising and there's no end to it, is that all we can use is this imagery, this symbolic imagery. There's very little that we have where we can exactly describe what heaven's going to be like. And so, of course, it's a difficult thing to talk about and to give perfect imagery to, but there is a simplicity to it is that, you know, St. Paul writes that, you know, of, of faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest because you know, in heaven we'll, we'll no longer need faith. It'll be right in front of us. There'll be no, nothing left to hope for, but only love will continue to grow and will not fail.
1: I love when we look at a quote from St. Benedict the 12th and paraphrasing him, he talks about how in heaven, the souls will see the divine essence. And he talks about this as seeing it with an intuitive vision, that intuitively we have this vision of the divine essence, but then also that we see it face to face. We have to remember that our lady and Jesus Christ rose with their bodies into heaven, but then also we will be able to see the divine essence without having, um, the need of a mediator. It'll be attainable to us. We won't need, you know, we won't need St. Teresa of Avila or even St. Benedict the 12th, kind of trying to explain it to us. We will be able to understand it. But I think to simplify it, Father Tim, for me in some terms as well is we forget that Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Now that we can have a foretaste of heaven here on earth and how by uniting ourselves with Christ in the sacraments, I mean, the Eucharist reconciliation, we literally have the sanctifying, grace and can live in a state of, um, I mean, this perfect union with God.
2: Well, heaven and earth were always meant to be united. There's supposed to be this communion between these these two you know, pitches of being, if you will, the reality that heaven and earth are you know, interlocking and overlapping and they're a whole lot closer to one another than we think they are. And ultimately they're supposed to come crashing together and that's what we call the new heavens and the new earth and the wedding feast of the lamb so that the the dead and the living will become one with, with God. But it's not this sense that has kind of developed over the centuries of heaven being this eternal disembodied bliss that, you know, that's platonic. That's from the philosopher Plato is that we need to escape from these bodies, which are like prison cells so that our true form, our spirit, our soul may be with God forever. And that is literally how it's preached, you know, during funerals so often. And that's the expectation that people have, or or even they'll call their, their loved ones who've died, you know, oh, they're an angel now in heaven, yeah. but we forget I that, that, Right, <laughs> right, right. but w- we forget or we're never taught that God's ultimate plan is to reunite our bodies with our souls. Yeah. And that when we speak of heaven, the eternity of heaven, we're talking about in a, a bodily experience where our bodies and our souls are more connected and more in communion now than they ever have been because they'll be in communion with God in heaven.
1: In one of the previous episodes we just did, we were talking about this quote from St. John Paul the Great, and he talks about joy. And he talks about how part of what Christ came to do is to reveal to us what it is to be happy, to reveal to us what it means to be fully alive in our humanity, essentially. And when I think about it in terms of heaven as well, this rejoicing and delighting in our Lord in heaven, we're going to come fully into our identity. And this is something that you and I are really trying to do here while on earth. You know, we try to understand, well, who am I? What do I seek after? How am I the best version of myself? You know, we look for eight-step programs on how to find the best me, the best you. And yet, you know, we're in a culture that is divided by identity politics and gender identity. Identity is a really big deal, and it's something that we won't fully achieve until we reach heaven, but also that we'll have a hard time understanding here on earth, if we don't unite ourselves to the fullness of Christ who reveals himself and ourself to us in the sacraments.
2: Right. And the full revelation of who we are and being able to express that to one another and to receive that from another person is one of the main reasons we need to go to confession, that we need to free our hearts up from sin. I've been thinking so much about what heaven's going to be like, what we are going to be like, and then how are we going to even recognize each other? If all we know about another person is their sin, Mm. if all we reveal about ourselves are our sins. So, St. John Paul II, speaking to teens, I think it was back in 2000, told them that you are not the sum of your failures and weaknesses and sins. You are the sum of the father's love for you, but also of the capability of being conformed to the image of Christ. That part's often left out because that's an inspirational quote, but (laughs) there's so much reality to that is that we are defined by the father's love for us, not by our sins. And when we get to heaven and there's no sin left, but all people know about us is our sin. And all we focus on in other people is our sin is that, How are we going to even recognize each other if we're not loving each other right now? So get prepared. Heaven is going to be eternal love with the people that you are trying not to love right now. And so we better learn how to love now because that's what's prepared for us. What eye has not seen and ear has not heard.
1: That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim, where you can find Father Tim at Father Tim Grumbach on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Spell Grumbach for us.
2: G-R-U-M-B-A-C-H.
1: I'm trying to see how many times I can have you spell that today, just for the fun of it. Do my
2: whole name as quickly as possible.
1: (laughs) You know, when I think about heaven as well, what a cool mission for John the Baptist. Hmm. He got to proclaim the coming of Jesus. He got to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was the job of the evangelist and there's a reason we call him, you know, John the the Baptist, he's the evangelist. You know, we think of St. John as well, who wrote the gospel. They were called to announce the good news. This is what we too are called to announce the good news of heaven.
2: Right, the kingdom of heaven, it, it being a, a Greek word, basileos, which means less a place and more of the reign itself. And so we could almost better translate it as the reign of heaven, the reign of God. This is God's infinite, merciful, loving authority breaking into his creation. And so we have been mistaken at times to think that the kingdom of heaven has to have an earthly kingdom here which you know there there is a part of it to that but more important than a place is the authority that breaks in when we serve the poor when we heal the sick and and that's why miracles that are still happening now real genuine miracles the healing of the sick the the sight given to the blind the even the raising of the dead that these are miracles that are happening happening because the reign of god means to break into heaven and break in from heaven into earth and uh, you know, and sometimes in the simplest of ways, I, I remember not too long ago, maybe sometime during this year, you know, there's something really amazing happening down here in the Orange Diocese called mass underground and it's mm-hmm. it's a really beautiful experience and it's really something that one has to experience and choose to go to themselves it doesn't mean to be exclusive it means to be this intimate encounter with the mass and with the community but I remember being there and of course everyone is chosen to be there they may not know exactly what to expect when they get there but I remember somebody getting up front and, and asking like who wants to go to heaven and I was thinking well you know, I don't want to be the awkward one that doesn't raise my hand. Right. (laughs) Uh, But I think there's a deeper question that needs to be asked of who wants heaven to come here. And that's what happens in every Eucharist in every sacrament is, is that kingdom of God, more properly translated, that reign of God, the authority of God comes breaking into the world now through the sacraments, through healing and, and through bringing people, incorporating people into the body of Christ so that we belong to one another. And so, God doesn't want to wait until we die for us to have a taste of heaven. And so it can break into the world right now through the sacraments and through uh, works and acts of love and through, you know, little sacrifices that happen even in the family that Mm -hmm. heaven wants to break into earth. And it's not something that's waiting until we die for it to happen.
1: And I love when you talk about the reign of heaven, because in multiple ways, you know, people are always dissatisfied with some political system. They're always dissatisfied with whoever the monarch might be, or the president or the dictator, whatever it might be, because ultimately you're longing for a reign that shows unconditional love for its people. You're longing for a reign of ruling over you that puts everything in perfect order. You're longing for a rain that is actually true, that is perfect truth, not partial truth, not just trying for the truth. That is truth itself that puts all of creation in order and honors, creation honors the person. This is what we're looking for. And I think about, you know, Luke chapter four, when we read verse 31 and 32, you know, Jesus is traveling. He's in the city of Galilee. He's at Capernaum. He's performing all of these various miracles. And we read in verse 32, it says, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. That authority is what we so deeply long for, the authority of God.
2: And the authority being more than just a power. You know, I was talking with a friend recently about the difference between power and authority. Power, which is what some of the people wanted in the New Testament was, it's, it's something that's not relational, but authority is. Authority means I have a relationship and that's where the power comes from. And and so Jesus so often speaks about his authority to work miracles, while other people may desire the power to work miracles. And so it's something that, that happens relationally, and that's what heaven is going to be, is entering into this authority, this reign, this power that God has, because he's created the heavens and the earth, and he desires them to come together. New heavens, new earth, new creation.
0: Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timmery, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics.
1: That's right. You're here with a trending. Father Tim Grumbach is with us of the St. Augustine Parish in Los Angeles. Big shout out to him and all of his work volunteered here at this year on Trending. Thanks for being with us this year.
2: Well, a big shout out to my parishioners for letting me be here to step away a little bit from time to time and, uh, and to all those who listen and just really, you know, they, they still enjoy my stories, even though they get to hear them at church and here on the radio. So
1: that actually emphasizes the importance of repetition. We need right. to hear things multiple times. St. John Paul II was great at repeating himself that really helped us learn from it. So we are obviously using a whole minute to avoid our last topic. Um, <laughs> we were talking about death. We we're talking about judgment. We we're talking about heaven and we decided for some reason to leave hell as last thing. Um, but
2: I, I hope to avoid it for all eternity, <laughs> not just for a minute.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not what we're avoiding for just a minute here. So here's the deal. We don't feel comfortable thinking about the reality of the devil or of hell. In fact, unfortunately, Even our own Catholic priests not only avoid talking about it, but some will even go so far to say that it's just a figment of our imagination to kind of fear us into loving God and other types of things.
2: A symbolic language that speaks towards the systemic evils of this world. Is that right?
1: Right. Well, when we look at St. Alphonsus Liguori, man, when he talks about hell, if you have not read this book, I'm begging you, please pick up this book. I'm showing you if you're listening on the live feed, we're on live on Instagram and Facebook right now at Timory and at Father Tim Grumbach. I'm holding up this book by St. Alphonsus Liguori, Preparation for Death. It will slap you upside the head and make you keep all of these things, the four last things in context, but he talks about how hell is, quote, the principal torment. And he talks later on about how it's essentially the pain of having lost God.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a pain of having lost God and having made that decision. And you know, that's probably the most painful thing is that you know, especially in, in more recent catholic teaching and trying to understand hell as uh, a decision one makes for oneself although god is the one who judges god is the one who who makes right the wrongs but also um, has allowed for something like hell to exist uh, so that people have with that great gift of the free will can choose not god can choose not god's will but their own and um, one of my favorite uh, quotes from all of C.S. Lewis's work is from the Four Loves, where he describes, you know, the 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 ways that we protect ourselves from love and how love ultimately requires a vulnerability. But that, you know, sure, go ahead, protect yourself from that vulnerability of love. Go ahead and wrap mm-hmm. your heart up in all your little hobbies and luxuries and the casket of your selfishness, he calls I love it. I right? And uh, he goes on to say that the, the only place that will be protected from the perturbations of love other than heaven is hell and so to love is to be vulnerable and to protect ourselves against that our hearts will change i get to preach about this at almost every funeral and while i don't necessarily uh do so in the context of speaking about hell i do speak uh, i do find it really important to say that if we're going to protect ourselves against god in this moment I mean, we have to admit god there's something missing from my life now but if we don't admit that and if we protect ourselves against what God is trying to do—to comfort hearts, but also to promise new life to us—then we will change. You know, he, C.S. Lewis says that our hearts will become, uh, you know, stronger, yeah. impenetrable, irredeemable, and you know, in safe in its little airtight casket of luxuries and. I think he even calls whatnot. that
1: heartless men at some point. Right. Why right. would we be heartless men? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So. Um, I tell people, you come to this funeral, your heart will change no matter what, but is it a hardening or is it a breaking open so that God can put it back together? And so he describes hell as a a door locked from the inside, right? Mm -hmm. Not people knocking on the, uh, or, or people knocking on the inside, like, let us out, let us out, let us out. But perhaps more so people knocking from the outside saying, let us in, let us in, but constantly making that choice and going deeper and deeper into that habit of mortal sin and And keeping others out, you know, it's not a perfect image of hell, but it does reveal a lot about our free will and our decisions that we make to lock God out, protect ourselves and change our hearts that way.
1: That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Have you noticed that in the apparitions of Our Lady, Mm -hmm. she often ends up talking about hell in a strong call to conversion. She talks a lot. Remember this. She talks a lot about the sins of the flesh, Mm. the sins of the flesh. And you know, we're not just talking about our sexual sins. We're also talking about things such as gluttony. We live in a time where foodism and I mean, people think it's funny to post hashtag food porn. Mm. I mean, shouldn't that say something? I'm always amazed by that post, especially just some of the people who will put it up there. But we've lost again, this idea of God that we're willing to go this far. And so I love thinking of Our Lady because she cares so much for us that she even allowed the little children at Fatima, three little children, to have her vision of hell, to see into hell, and for them to even go so far as to actually see other little children they knew who had died, who were very, very young, burning in the eternal fire of hell.
2: And Throughout scripture, we have this beautiful image that heaven will be a place without tears and that, you know, the Lord will wipe every tear from every eye. Um, But this is what is really powerful to me about these apparitions of Our Lady is that you would think that, oh, she's in perfect peace, that she would not have these concerns. But the saints still have these concerns because they they know the joys of heaven. But in a sense, they likely then know the opposite is the, the pains of hell. And they want to bring us to the joys of heaven. and so to hear that our, our blessed mother would be appearing and allowing these, these images, these visions, it, it tells us something that, you know, the love of heaven is something that still has concern for us here on earth.
1: Do you think sometimes when we are watch- we kind of like to watch scary movies and as horror movies become more and more common? I mean, we have horror movies not just at Halloween time now. They're coming out in the middle of the year, which is fascinating to me. I think sometimes we're trying to scal- scare the hell of it out of ourselves mm. sometimes to wake ourselves up in some way. We're so numb that we're just trying to get something to shake us up.
2: Right. Horror stories allow us to, in a sense, confront that which frightens us the most without actually having to be face to face with it. Mm. And so it is a vicarious element of, you know, maybe, yeah, it's scaring the hell out of ourselves, but it could also draw us more deeply into it. And so, uh, horror stories, whether it be, you know, by books, by movies, some other, you know, podcast, whatever it is, is that we have to be very careful because it does allow us to, uh, you know, come close to that, which frightens us the most but in a vicarious way,
1: but sometimes be open to the demonic as well, which right. we have to be careful of. Right. You're listening to trending with Timory, That's father Tim at Grumbach. Another way to look at how in, I think this one is very chilling to me. We read in the Psalms, Psalm 48 that hell is void of all light. And we have a tradition of the church standing on this. In fact, St. Basil talks about the separation of fire and light in hell. He says the Lord will divide the fire from the light so that the fire will only perform the office of burning and not giving light. Can you imagine? I mean, we kind of get cozy around a fire, not only because it draws us into light and you know, we often think of light as the light of Christ, but also we appreciate the warmth versus in hell. Fire is void of all light and it's perpetually burning and painful and the fire can never have enough. It never stops.
2: Yeah, there are some theologians who will suggest that the, the, the fires of heaven, purgatory and hell are all the same fire of God's love. But it depends on how we experience it. Mm. That the, the fire of heaven is us bur- being burnt up in the, the fire of God's love. While purgatory is that, that same fire, but it's purging us. It's purifying us. But then the hell, the hellfire is that same fire. But we have so refused to be purified or to um, to be consumed by it that it begins to uh, be a terror, an everlasting terror to us. Uh, again, not a perfect image, but,
1: but I think it's good. Let's just sit yeah. on it just for a second. Cause mm-hmm. you think about, you know, being consumed by the fire in a loving consumption of the fire mm-hmm. in heaven, purgatory being purged, the fires are clearing us out. But in hell, it's like that fire cannot get enough. It is just nothing but destructive,
2: destructive. That's so key is that it's the opposite of being yeah. creative. Right. And so that's what strikes me about St. Basil's beautiful quote about, you know, separating the fire that's offices of of burning and light. And that, um, when I think of light, I think of that very God's very creative word when he speaks and his word touches nothing and being unfolds is that the light is a symbol of God's creative act. But what happens in hell when that, that light, that symbol of God's creative act is taken away, it's only destructive. And that's why, you know, we see a, seeing a rise in, uh, Satanism and, and other pagan practices that will come out and say something like praise Satan. I'm like, that's impossible. You cannot praise Satan. Praise is an inherently creative act that God has given to us to share in his creative act and Satan and his demons cannot create. They can only counterfeit and manipulate and destroy. And so to say that the, the fires of hell lose that office of giving light of creating, and, and revealing, but only have the office of destruction and burning. That is a very powerful image given to us by the saints.
1: Well, and if you think back to the fire that's consuming in heaven, we want to be consumed by the fire of God's love. And this is what we're orienting ourselves to. This is why we're talking about the four last things. Are we orienting ourselves to full union with God that we're willing to walk through the all consuming fire? to be united to him on the other side, like as we see, you know, the embers and everything crumbling in the fire, just like in purgatory, that we're being purged and broken into being one with God, which is his wish that we read about in all of John.
2: Right, and praise God, we were not made for this world, but here we live, but neither were we made for hell. We were not made for hell, we were made for heaven, and that is God's every effort being poured into our lives to give us his grace, to bring us back home with him.
0: This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes.